right? We always compare upwards. We always look at what we want for ourselves, but feel we don't have. And we choose people who have that quality or the resource or whatever it is that we want for ourselves in spades. We often compare ourselves extremely unfairly as well, you know, to people who really master a particular skill because that's their profession. And then we compare ourselves to them and think, oh, we're so lacking. We're so bad at this. We, we're a catastrophe, right? So we, we might compare ourselves to models or to actresses or to you know super fit bodybuilders or to extremely rich people or to athletes you know who really master certain skills and we can only lose in that comparison of course Hey there, friends. Welcome once more to the Happy Habit Podcast. I'm your loyal host, Matthew. As you might very well know at this stage, this is a place where we like to talk health and well-being Mondays and Thursdays. If you are new, welcome. If you're returning, thank you so much for coming back. And if you're getting value from this series, as I always like to say, please like, subscribe and share. Tell people about the podcast who you think might get some enjoyment and value and knowledge from this series. And if you have the time, it'll take only two seconds. Please give us a positive rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Now, a reminder before we get started with this episode, we are also on Instagram and on YouTube. So check out the videos of the episodes over there and subscribe while you're there. Anna Schaffner is a writer, coach and a professor of cultural history who has written books on the history of exhaustion and the art of self-development. And she has a new book coming out on the subject of exhaustion. More on that soon. Anna's mission is to help clients move from a state of exhaustion to a state of vitality in their lives. In this episode, we discuss what exactly exhaustion is and how it is distinct from being burnt out. Expect to learn about the symptoms of exhaustion. Expect to discover the drivers of exhaustion, both mental and physical. We talk about the popularity of manifestation and how it contributes to people's exhaustion. Comparison is often called the thief of joy. It too leads to a draining of our energy levels and a lack of self-satisfaction. And we discuss why. Expect to discover what the basic things are that we can do to move from a state of exhaustion to vitality. And we also learn about the importance of having a hobby when it comes to raising your energy levels. I really enjoyed this conversation with Professor Anna. Hopefully you enjoy listening too. Well, Anna, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate your time. Um, let's talk about exhaustion. Now, you've written multiple books and you've got a new book coming out shortly uh, called Exhaustion, an A to Z for the Weary. I love the front cover of the book uh, because it simply pictures a, a simple burnt match, I think, which probably perfectly describes how people feel when they're exhausted. But can we define, first of all, what you mean when you talk about exhaustion? Because everybody will be familiar with that term, but you're talking about it in a specific context. Yeah, thank you. Um, exhaustion, as I understand it, has complex causes, a mixture of inner and outer. And the kind of exhaustion I'm interested in is not caused by, you know, clear medical um, origins or or something, you know, like exertion or something that we can easily put our fingers on. The kind of exhaustion I'm interested in is um, a 
is, is a complex phenomenon that is caused partly by external factors, partly by internal noise, partly by um, what's going on, you know, in, in our in our lives from a more holistic perspective. So the exhaustion that I would like to, um, that I, I've always been curious about is, you know, can be caused by bad stuff happening at work. It can be caused by chronic stress, chronic overwork, but it can also be caused, be caused by um, what is happening inside our minds by, you know, internal critics who relentlessly broadcast fake news about ourselves in our inland empire and, you know, just kind of talk us down, drag everything we do in the mud. That can also be very, very exhausting. And I'm also, as a cultural historian, really interested in the cultural and the historical factors that contribute to our individual exhaustion, because often exhaustion has structural reasons. It also has um, causes in how we think about time, how we think about work, how we think about waste, how we think about productivity. So exhaustion is, I, I think, a wonderfully complex phenomenon that has multiple different causes. And then is there a distinction to be made between exhaustion then in this context and being burnt out? Yeah. I would say burnout is um, an extreme version of exhaustion. Um, I think exhaustion is something that we all feel to a certain extent. If it becomes chronic, it's obviously more serious. And burnout is, um, again, we can have burnout symptoms um, and not be fully burned out, but you know, real burnout is uh, incapacitating. It's totally debilitating as a condition. It doesn't mean that you're just tired and that everything feels like a drag. When we're burned out, we, we can't really function. A lot of my burnout clients actually have to stop working completely. And it can often take um, many months, sometimes years to recover fully. Um, and burnout is a really extreme condition of exhaustion. And it usually entails um, that, you know, chronic exhaustion, severe fatigue, of course, that everything we do is tiring. Everything feels like massive weight, massive burden on our shoulders. But it also entails what um, the researchers call depersonalization. That means being very cynical about the people with whom we work or the institutions for whom we work. Um, and that can result in depersonalization and in, in, you know, us being quite bitter about what is happening um, and in a massively reduced efficacy. So we, we cannot function. We cannot be as productive as we used to be. Those are the three main symptoms of burnout. But then there is also brain fog, uh, an inability to concentrate, often sleeping problems, and I would say a lot of inner noise. So what makes burnout such a perfidious condition is that we have a lot of inner noise. We feel a lot of shame. We feel a lot of guilt. So even when we don't do anything, when we rest, when we've stopped working, there's still a lot going on in our heads that doesn't allow us to properly recover and pause. So I think the inner noise dimension is, is quite important as well. But the burnout is at the extreme end of things. So what you're kind of describing there would be what sounds to me like a psychological and physiological shutting down. Yeah, I think that's a very good way of looking at it. Um, I mean, one, one of the ways in which I understand burnout is that it's the, the body saying no. You know, the body just say says stop. You can't continue like that. 
you have to you have to pause you have to rest now and the body refuses to function because it wants to force that break and it wants to force us to say hey something isn't right we can't continue doing what we do this is not sustainable um so you know severe burnout really means that people cannot cannot work you know they they sit there they experience brain fog they can't concentrate they can't focus they often have you know real anxiety at the thought of returning to work so you know it's really the body is say, sending a very powerful message saying no you can't do that anymore stop stop it okay so before you even reach that milestone of being uh, burnt out physically and psychologically um, prior to that is that feeling that you mentioned about exhaustion uh, about which you've written a, a new book can you talk to us then about the red flags or the signs that we should be looking for along the way such that we don't get to the point where we're burnt out? I think, you know, a lot of us are probably somewhere on the exhaustion spectrum and burnout is the really se severe, um, you know, tail end of, of, of exhaustion. And again, burnout can be light, lighter and more, more severe. Um, and I would say that um, warning signs that we're heading in that direction can entail that we feel, you know, that we feel like everything's costing energy. We become very aware of our energy. It's like, oh, no, I don't think I can do this. This is just thinking about it makes me feel really tired and weary and heavy. So we, we start to cut out activities that we used to get joy from, that used to nourish us and that used to replenish our energy. And that's also the vicious circle. That's the vicious, that's exactly the vicious burnout circle because when we stop doing what is good for ourselves, um, things get worse, but we, we lack the energy to do what is good for ourselves. You see, there, there's a real danger with saying, okay, I'm too tired to see my friends. I'm too tired to go to my dancing class. I just can't can't imagine going for a run and then we, we we cut out more and more of the good habits the, the happy habits right and when we start losing our good habits because we don't have energy for our good habits anymore that's i think where we get into this dangerous slippery slope territory where we can easily just slip totally into into burnout mode because we need to do things that are good for our souls for our spirits for our bodies for our minds and when we when we don't do those things anymore and just work right we, we never replenish our energy levels and that that's what what, what makes it dangerous it's really interesting i spoke with a, a psychologist there in, in one of the episodes a few months ago and she spoke about uh, symptoms of depression and uh, she said that uh, people who are experiencing depression their worlds tend to get smaller and in mm. some respects, you're describing somebody who whose world is getting smaller because they are they are moving away from what would normally bring them joy and they are contracting into themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a lovely way of describing it. Our world gets much, 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 much smaller and narrower. We become very focused on, on ourselves, right, because we have nothing to give. Everything costs energy and we can just about keep functioning, but we have nothing to give to friends, family, to work. It's just not there, the energy to do that. And what I would say, what, what um, makes burnout, what, what makes burnout very different from depression is that it really is a work-related condition. So the origins of burnout tend to be 
found in our attitude to work and in our ability inability to stop working to stop thinking about work um, and to really um sort of detach from from thoughts about work and um you know a lot of people who suffer from burnout work became their world you know like so it's a shrinking world but it's also work taking over and work being the one and only important thing in our shrinking worlds. Talking about the world of work, I know one of the the main drivers of people's lack of satisfaction and maybe contributing to people's exhaustion and to burnout is a, a sense of frustration because they aren't progressing in work and they're not receiving a, a degree of appreciation for the work they put in from their bosses, etc. Would you would you agree that that's one of the contributors to exhaustion? Absolutely. I think lack of appreciation is uh, one of the major causes of burnout. Because when we don't feel appreciated at work, that really hurts. You know, that's a very unpleasant feeling. It's um, it's a form of social pain that you know activates the same um, centers in our brain that physical pain activates. It's it's a really really unpleasant, horrible feeling. And if we feel un underappreciated or unappreciated at work for many years that really really affects us you know a lot of people become sad or bitter or turn turn it against themselves like what have I done wrong why why am I not being appreciated it's a bit like being in a relationship with someone who, who no longer loves you right <laughs> I really hard to convince them hey I'm lovable please <laughs> remember why you loved me once and it's 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 sad and it's it's hard and it's painful and um, so I think lack of appreciation is a massive uh, factor in burnout and it um and it often you know it, a lot of bosses are very bad at giving appreciation. It has to be sad. You know, we think it, it's easy enough to make someone feel appreciated. A lot of people don't do it at all. And if you just get criticism, if you just get like you haven't met that KPI or that work was shoddy or whatever, if people just forget to say nice things <laughs> to their employees, that that can actually have a really toxic and damaging effect completely agree and I think it contributes to that cynicism that you mentioned earlier which again contributes to exhaustion and, and to burnout you have written a book about this entire subject the history of exhaustion and burnout I really want to hear your opinion on this are we experiencing more of exhaustion and burnout today than our ancestor did, ancestors did in previous generations yeah that is the million dollar question so in my in my history book I argue that um, people have always felt exhausted and they've always battled with exhaustion. And that is true because there are a lot of historical records um, on exhaustion and what people thought about it and what kind of cures they proposed for it. You know, and we have records by exhausted monks, exhausted brain workers. We have, um, you know, records on exhaustion in ancient China and in ancient Greece. And, you know, obviously people attributed very different causes to their exhaustion back then. You know, they thought it was an imbalance of the four humors, for example, or they thought it was the um, toxic influence of the planet Saturn, you know, that was sort of messing with our energy. Or they thought it was brain work, you know, when um, especially the kind of more scholarly people who wrote about exhaustion 
um, felt that, you know, they, they were overusing their brains, overtaxing their, you know, their cerebral functions. Um, and then people thought that exhaustion could be caused by um, overstimulation. So in the 19th century, end of the 19th century, you know, when motor cars were introduced, trains, tele te telegraphs, um, radio, and, and life seemed more you know, you could feel speed, you could feel a different pace of life at that time. Uh, people felt like, oh my God, we're constantly being overstimulated. There's ad advertisements, there's cars racing past, um, being on a train, like our nervous system can't cope with the speed. So people felt very anxious about speed and, um, and the fact that the external environment was sucking our energies because there was too much going on. Um, and I would say that, of course, you know, people didn't talk about burnout in the past. They talked about um, melancholia. They talked about neurasthenia. They talked about echidia. That was a condition that monks had. Um, and they were all they all had some similar symptoms to burnout. They were all centered around exhaustion, fatigue, inner noise um, and inability to stress and to, to de-stress and to relax. Um, so that has been around for, for millennia. And are we more burned out now than ever before? I would say we, um, we overvalue work. I think work has never been as important in people's lives as it is now. So there's an over-determination and over-investment in work. You know, what we do is very much who we are. Um, a lot of us, you know, expect not just a salary and status from our work, but they also expect, you know, connection, meaning, purpose, even some kind of, you know, spiritual satisfaction. So we expect a lot from work. Work is also overdetermined. And a lot of us cannot detach our identities from what we do very, very well anymore. And um, I think that is new that is historically speaking i don't think that has been the case in the past and then of course we have invasive technology right we have technology that really infiltrates our daily life in a massively disruptive and um, energy zapping way that that didn't used to exist in the past but you know in the past people did worry about trains so there was always been a kind of suspiciousness about technology and technological change. But I think obviously what, what we are experiencing with uh, social media and how it affects our psyches is, is new and that's unprecedented. I would also say that we live in very worrying times. You know, we, um, we're probably not living in an optimistic period of history. And we have, a lot of us have a sense that, you know, things are just going to get worse, you know, and that there are certain problems like climate change that we won't be able to address in a successful way. So I, I would say that zeitgeist is not optimistic. And people who lived in, you know, periods where things were going well, economies were growing, you know, everyone was thinking, very optimistic and, and and hopeful thoughts that that also affects our our psyches. I would say at a collective level, um, and right now I think quite a lot of us feel quite despondent about the state of the world. It's interesting because um, and I, I agree with everything you said there. Absolutely, 
I really do demonize um, social media and I've sp- my listeners are probably bored of me talking about it at this stage, but I do think it is so very corrosive. And the irony is, is that I rely on social media, certainly to get my message about this podcast out into the world. So I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with it because of, of that. But I, I always think that social media today makes things seem an awful lot worse. You used the term earlier, noise, and I think it contributes to all of that noise and you could very easily switch off that noise by not engaging in being online or by using social media. And the other thing that social media and the internet does, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is it contributes to this tendency that people have today to compare themselves with other people as far as their their success is concerned and their productivity and their efficiency is concerned. How much of that contributes then to people's exhaustion whenever they see other people doing better? Yeah, I'm totally with you on on social media, by the way. Um, Yeah, I do think this constant comparison is extremely draining because we tend to, when we compare, we never compare compare in a positive way, right? We, We don't compare ourselves to people who have less than us or to people who, um, don't have what we want right we always compare upwards we always look at what we want for ourselves but feel we don't have and we choose people who have that quality or the resource or whatever it is that we want for ourselves in spades we often compare ourselves extremely unfairly as well you know to people who really master a particular skill because that's their profession and then we compare ourselves to them and think oh we're so lacking we're so bad at this we we're a catastrophe right so we, we might compare ourselves to models or to actresses or to you know super fit bodybuilders or to um extremely rich people or to athletes you know who really master certain skills and we can only lose in that comparison of course and it's as though we pick comparisons comparative equations that make us feel bad you know because we we obviously we could pick someone at our level and say hey i'm going to compare myself to this person who you know started with similar resources has similar talents how how are we both doing would be a more benign and helpful comparison but no we we always choose um people who really excel at something that we want for ourselves and then we feel bad then we feel lacking then we feel like total losers <laughs> we do we feel we feel tiny uh, by comparison I heard you speak in another podcast interview recently about the subject of manifestation. Um, I I read a book, uh, Roxy Nafusi's book. I reviewed it on the podcast about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. And uh, the whole subject of manifestation is an interesting one because, well, it has it has garnered huge interest in recent times. And any book written on manifestation seems to sell by the truckload. You made a very interesting observation, though, about manifesting and about manifestation and about it contributing to self-blame and lack of self-satisfaction. Can you talk to us about this? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are multiple problems with manifesting. Um, And one is that it's a very simplistic solution to complex problems, complex inner problems. Um, I believe inner inner problems require work. Manifesting is not work, right? It's just um, wishful thinking. It's not, we're not putting proper work in, we're not actually doing anything that would make our situations better we're not acquiring skills we're not acquiring insights we're not actually 
gaining any resources when we when we engage in that right it's just wishful thinking um it's also problematic because we believe that if we don't get what we want from manifesting it's our fault because we haven't you know wished powerfully enough or we haven't you know envisaged what we want powerfully enough and we think it's our fault and ultimately if you think the logic of manifesting to its conclusion we are all to blame for whatever misfortune befalls us right because our mind our mindset our thoughts attract certain things from the universe um, so if you get raped, if you get beaten up in the street, if you get injured in a car accident, uh, the the conclusion would not be horrific luck or, you know, you, you became the victim of something that was out, outside of your control. It would be you attracted that with your not optimistic and joyful enough thoughts. And I find that extremely problematic as a philosophy. I find it callous and I also find it, yeah, just... Uh, hugely stupid i do agree with because uh, at the time when i was talking about the book my, my philosophy is attention goes where energy flows i'm a big believer in taking agency taking control of a situation and then bringing about something as a direct result and consequence of my actions so uh, this is why i have an issue with the, the whole notion of manifestation i have no problem placing my energy into something certainly but about attracting things to you uh, as a consequence of the universe and i know joe dispenza is a big believer in quantum physics and, and all that kind of stuff I, I have an issue really buying into that really for me it comes down to direct action leads to direct results and I'm completely with you Matthew on where attention goes energy flows you know that's something I can absolutely um, prescribe to it's I think you know what we put our attention on what we put effort into right if we put time and effort and you know mental energy on something of course we we will we have a, the possibility of of becoming successful in that area of of um you know changing something of making certain gains and of changing our our lives for for the better but that's related to you know like where we put our energy is is an active thing right it's something we do and something we um we need to it needs to be accompanied by by action, not just thoughts, right? You you can't just think about something and and everything changes miraculously. You also have to do something about it. Um, and I also completely believe that an optimistic mindset matters, right? Like if we think, ah, I won't ever be able to do X, Y, and Z, or I'm just a loser, or I will never learn to do that or I will never be as good as X in this domain if we think like that we obviously won't take action we will never try and improve our situation and there's a lot of research on optimism and I, I don't want to discredit that at all I believe that you know we need to feel hopeful that our efforts might make a difference and but that's very different from manifesting you know that's that's um a growth mindset, um, an openness to learning, that's an open openness to um, putting work in, it's an openness to, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to try and if I fail, I'm going to try again. See, I think the mistake that people make when it comes to manifestation is that they buy into the visualization part of things. 
I've given the example before about Michael Phelps, the, the Olympic swimmer who was brilliant at visualizing his races in advance. But what people forget is he would have put maybe 30 to 40 hours per week of practice in the pool in order to bring yes. about his visualizations in the real world. Can we talk about uh, philosophy? Because um, I think this will make up part of the answer to this next question. What are the basic things that we can do to move from a state of exhaustion to a state of vitality? Because I know the philosophy of stoicism comes into this and the whole notion of control. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first step when we feel extremely exhausted or are in a state of burnout is to identify our core stressors. You know, what is it that really drains our energy? What, and we need to be really precise. Is it certain thoughts? We are having certain negative um, automatic thoughts that keep coming up. Is it an, a story we're telling us about ourselves? Or is it indeed, you know, a toxic working environment, unreasonable deadlines, you know, far too much to do in not enough time? Is it you know, um, unhelpful colleagues? Is it bad bosses? Is it the nature of our work? We need to really understand what it is that is 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 making us feel so drained and so exhausted. Um, it could also be, you know, it can sometimes be in our friendship circles or in our families, you know, what, what drains us. So getting a very clear understanding of that is really important. And also, we need to know what energizes us, right? So what makes us feel alive? What makes us feel happy? What gives us joy? I think we also need we need to do two lists, you know, the core stressors and also what, what energizes us. And then we need to, um, you mentioned the Stoics, um, we need to differentiate between stressors that we can control and stressors that we can't control. So there will be certain things that we find very stressful over which we have zero control, but we've spent a lot of headspace, you know, we, we spend a lot of mental energy on them. We worry about them. We think about them endlessly. We um, want to control them, but we can't. And then there are certain things that we can control. And um, often, you know, the Stoics would say, we can always control our responses to external events. So even if external events are completely outside of our control, we can control how we respond, you know, whether we get very upset, whether we get angry, whether we take certain actions, our responses are within our control. So the Stoics are very radical. They say we should just focus all of our mental energy on controlling our responses, i.e. our inner life, our thoughts and our judgments. Um, but that, you know, that's a that's a tough call. I think most of us won't be able to to manage that as radically as as the Stoics did. Um, and the 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 other thing about the Stoic circle of control is, of course, that there is a circle of influence. Right, there are things we clearly can control. There are things that we clearly can't control. And then there is a gray zone. And I think the gray zone. It's where ambiguity and uncertainty reside. So if I did this, maybe I could control that. So we don't quite know um, which of our actions could potentially yield certain results. Um, but I do think this idea of focusing on what we can control right now is, is a very, very healthy first step to just, you know, because it can be hugely freeing to stop worrying about certain things that we can't do anything about. It's like, okay, I mean, I don't like it, but I, I'm not going to worry about it because I can't change it anyway. And then, you know, the the other thing is that we need to bring as many 
nourishing and revitalizing activities into our lives as possible, especially when we're exhausted. And that's the problem, because when we're exhausted, we often cut is exactly these activities out, as we as we mentioned at the beginning. You know, we will stop doing what is good for us, and then things just get worse. Well, one of those revitalizing activities is hobbies. You're a big fan of hobbies, doing something with no particular purpose, just for the enjoyment of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think hobbies are fantastic because they are really... You know, they, they kind of sit outside that whole productivity, learning, growing, always working on ourselves, always somehow having to perform, achieve, succeed. You know, they just sit outside of these huge cultural pressures that most of us feel. We can have really weird hobbies and we can also be really bad at our hobbies and it doesn't matter. And hobbies serve only one purpose, that is to make us feel good. And nobody needs to watch. We don't need to share, sell on Etsy. We don't need to show anyone what we're doing. We, we're just doing it for ourselves. And I think that's, in a way, a very radical act. You know, and there, there are people with wonderfully eccentric and strange hobbies out there, and they can be so nourishing. And it's also just allowing ourselves the time to do something just for the sake of doing these activities because they're, they're enjoyable, they're pleasurable, they make us feel good. And we can be bad, you know, like it doesn't matter. We don't need to perform or excel. I mean, we might enjoy learning, but we don't need to ever, you know, show it off to anyone. Well, the great thing about a hobby, too, is it allows you to become really, really absorbed in doing something and getting into a state of flow whereby you forget about yourself, you forget about time passing and all of those things. You literally just focus entirely on, on doing that hobby, be it collecting stamps or sculpting or painting or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we just forget time. We really just absorbed in a particular activity and um and we our, our our mind doesn't wander you know we we're not thinking about work we're not thinking about other stuff we're just kind of happily doing that one thing and um and and feeling good about it hobbies aside how important is the notion of self-awareness when it comes to being aware of your becoming exhausted and you're on that road towards being burnt out i think it's really important you know self-knowledge is really the very first step in the discovery um in the recover recovery process um, because we need to know what exhausts us and what energizes us at a very basic level. But we also need to know about our preferences. Um, so, for example, a really simple example is, are we introverts or are we extroverts? Um, because introverts and extroverts get their energy in totally different ways. So an introvert needs to withdraw from the world, recharge on their own, read, you know, play the piano, or just, you know, be alone and, and do something very private, whereas extroverts get their energy by being with other people. Um, so we need to know what our deeper preferences are. And then also, ideally, um, we need to know whether our preferences are a good fit with our jobs. You know, so for, for example, if you're an introvert, you can show up extroverted, 
Um, I'm 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 a hyper introvert, but you you can at moments uh, show up introversion. You can dial up your introversion, but it costs you energy, and then you need to recover afterwards. If you work in a job that is people facing, where you constantly have to be, you know, chatty and and smiley and friendly, and um, that that will cost you a lot of energy, right, in the long run. Um. If you're an extrovert and you work in a library or you're a researcher, you will also likely suffer, you know, because you spend too much time on your own and, and you're not getting the energy that you need to get from other people. Um, so I think checking whether we're our jobs are aligned with our natural preferences. And then there's also thinking, feeling, you know, what, what is our natural first go to mode? Um, some people are very happy to be in, in the analytic cognitive realm. Other people are much happier to be attached to their to their feelings and to their intuitions and to, to um operate with these in their in their workspace as well. Anna, before I let you go, give us the name of your book again, the new book, which is set for release very soon. Yeah, um, so the new book is called Exhausted, an A to Z for the Weary. And it is coming out in January, and it's a book that contains lots of mini essays on exhaustion-related topics. And the idea is really to provide counsel, cures, and consolation for the weary. And um, in my book, I also bring in a lot of historical, sociological, and philosophical facts because they can change our perspective. They can remind us that we are not the only ones who have felt exhausted, that many other cultures, many other people have felt as we did. And they had very interesting ideas on the topic from which we have a lot to learn. Great stuff. Well, inspiring. And it's a fascinating subject and an important subject, too. If people want to find out more about you, where can they do that? Uh, they can find more about me on my website. Um, it's www.annakschaffner, all in one word, dot com. Anna Schaffner, real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for making time to come onto the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Habit Podcast. If you're getting any value whatsoever from this series, please like, subscribe, share and leave the podcast a positive rating. Until next time, stay happy.